Good morning, church family. It is so good to see you this morning. And uh, again, we're gathered together on this uh, internet church, either by Facebook or YouTube. I'm glad that you are joining us today as we worship the Lord together. My heart has already been moved, and I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us together through his word today. God has blessed us wonderfully in Christ Jesus. And Paul, today we're in the book of Philippians. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it and find it, turn it on, and find chapter number one. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So if you have your Bible, find with me Philippians chapter number one. And we're going to begin with verse number 21. Philippians chapter one, beginning with verse number 21. All right. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between two, my desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary to your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just ask that you would speak to us today from your word. I pray that you would encourage our hearts. I pray that you'd build us up in our faith. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us about the most important way that we live our life, that we live with purpose and direction uh, from you. So Father, speak to our hearts today, draw us to you, convince us about the truth, convict us of our sin, and lead us to fully repent and fully invest our lives by, in faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, this morning we want to think about our purpose, my purpose, your purpose for living. What is that just cause in your life? What is it that motivates you, inspires you, that moves you to get up in the morning and, and, and go to work in this world? What is it that is that driving force in your life? We're going to look at the Apostle Paul and what moved him, motivated him, and then let and ask the Lord to speak to us about our own desire and our purpose for living. What does drive you in your life? Someone once said it's a sad thing when a man quits before he dies. Don't quit in this life. Don't loaf in this life. Don't Retirement's not here. Retirement is in glory with the Lord. You know, he has a plan and purpose for your life and mine. A little background, remember, this book is written as a letter. It's, a, it's really a loving, personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Macedonia, to the city of Philippi, one of the leading cities in Macedonia. It's on the Ignatian Way. It was the first place that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy went after they came over from Asia into Europe, and it's here that the first converts happened in uh, Europe, and a church was born in Philippi. 
The love relationship between Paul and this church went on. They supported him even when he moved on to Thessalonica and other places. They would send relief, they would send support, send their prayers. And it was a partnership and a fellowship. And it was a personal relationship between the Apostle Paul and this church. Paul finds himself in a prison. It is in Rome. He's chained to a guard and he's kept held captive and the end of his life could be very near. It's a lot of uncertainty in Paul's life, yet he loves this church with a great love and they love him. They had, the occasion is they had sent relief to Paul, money to, to help him and assist him. They sent it by a faithful member of the church named Epaphroditus. While there, Epaphroditus gets very ill and sick and nearly dies. Paul's sending him back home with this letter saying thank you so much. But along with it comes these great words of encouragement about the how to live our lives for the glory of God. You see, Paul knew that the real authority in his life about life and death was not Caesar. Now, Caesar might make the judgment, but his life is held in the hands of God himself. And he knew that, and it strengthened Paul. He knew that the real authority in this world is God, not men. And then he gives us, in this passage that we looked at today, one of the most often quoted verses in this letter, and even in the New Testament. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, but to die, oh, is gain, is so much better. He says, as I live here, as I stay here, he says, I know I have a purpose, and my purpose is to help you to grow in your faith to the Church of Philippi. I'm here because God has a plan for me to help them advance the kingdom, that God has a plan for me to make disciples. God has a plan, and God is using me, and if I get to stay, that's good, but oh, my longing. My desire is to depart and be with the Lord. He says, because I know the great plans that God has for me there. His longing is to depart, to, to let loose, to set sail, to be released, to be with Christ. How far much better that would be. But he says, I feel confident I'm going to be here for a while. And while here, I'm not going to waste my life. So he reminds them he has a purpose in his living. Let's look at Paul's reason for living. What is it? We find it in here. First of all, Paul's reason for living is that he might, above everything else, be pleasing unto the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about this earthly body, our tent, this tabernacle. When it's torn down, this temporary body, we know that we have a house made a permanent dwelling, made not by hands, permanent, eternal, in the heavens. He reminds us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, listen to what he says, but we are of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather to be away from the body and to be at home 
with the Lord. <clears throat> and then he says, so whether we're at home or away, now listen, we make it our aim, our ambition to please him. The driving force in Paul's life was to please the Lord. He wanted to honor him and please him, live his life. That was the aim of his life. The second driving force in Paul's life, of course, is the advancement of the kingdom of God. In verse number 12 of Philippians 1 that we looked at last week, listen to what the scripture says. I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, you know the hard circumstances that we are in. And what he says, I know you're not ashamed of me. But some others may have been ashamed of me. But I want you to know, even though this isn't what I'd want to be in jail, handcuffed by a chain to, to a, a prison guard and in these horrible conditions and not able to move around freely and, and be stuck as a prisoner, he said, that's not really what I wanted. But I want you to know that it's turned out for the advancement of the gospel. And that's what I'm all about. So I'll rejoice in that. As a matter of fact, he says, since I've been here, people have come to know Christ that wouldn't have. People in Caesarea, people on the ship here, people at Malta, people have come to know Jesus Christ even among Caesar's household, even among the Praetorian Guard. Soldiers and guards and prisoners are coming to Christ. And he says the kingdom is advancing and believers and other brothers are filled with courage to preach the gospel, and the kingdom of God is expanding. And he says, no matter what the motive is of preaching, I will rejoice because God's kingdom is expanding. Third thing that motivates Paul is he says, I live to see the progress of your faith. So while I'm here, I'm torn between these two. I'd love to depart and go to be with the Lord, but I'm here, and God has a mission and a purpose for me until he's done with me. And part of that is to see you grow and progress in your faith. And it says, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He says, I have a work that's fruitful, eternal fruit, and it's among you. In verse number 25, he says, I'm convinced of this. I know that if I remain and continue with you all, it's for your progress and joy in the faith. He said, I want to help build you up and teach and be an example and, and, and help you to grow and mature in ministry and life and service to God. That's the thing that drives me in my life. But finally, he said, the thing that really drives me is the glory of Jesus Christ himself. I want to live my life to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 26. That we just looked at just a moment ago. It says in God's word, he says, So then in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He said, you know what, if I get to remain and I get to have time with you all again, it's going to be filled with glory and praise to Almighty God. 
And that's one of the things that motivates my life above everything else, really, is I want to live my life to bring honor and glory to the matchless name of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that motivated Paul in his life. What motivates you in your life? Hmm. What is the driving desire in your heart, in your life, and in your living? Hmm. What does it mean to live for Jesus? Back to that one verse that really speaks to us. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die, it's gain. What does that mean? What is Paul saying? Paul had a life before he found Jesus, didn't he? One of the things that Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, because I know what my life was before I found Jesus, or Jesus found me, better to say. Is that life before? Yes, I was a Roman citizen and have all the privileges of Rome. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I grew up in Tarsus. I understand language and culture and people. I studied in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, one of the great theologians. I graduated with honors under that tutelage. I, 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 I was zealous. I was a keeper of the law. I was a Pharisee. I knew the chief priests. I knew the Sanhedrin. I knew uh, dignitaries in Jerusalem and powerful people. And I was up and coming. And I was zealous for my faith, a persecutor even of Christians. He says, I was so zealous for the faith and so zealous for the law that I was so filled up with myself and I was missing God altogether. I pursued Christians all over Jerusalem. I was there when Stephen was murdered, and I gave hearty agreement to it. I myself pursued others, had them arrested, and caused them to be murdered. That's the kind of man I was. I was on my way to Damascus with letters from the high priest, from the Sanhedrin, from the authorities, to take into custody those who were followers of the way. And even though Damascus, a long way off from Jerusalem, as I was making that long journey to Syria, he said there there was an encounter not far away from the city of Damascus where I was knocked to the ground by a blinding light and a voice out of heaven changed my life forever. And I heard a voice. The light knocked me to my knees. I heard a voice. Others didn't hear it like I did. They said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? me. I'll never forget. I said, who are you, Lord? This is in Acts chapter 9. He said, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. Paul said later, what shall I do? He says, you go into Damascus. It'll be shown you what you are to do. His life was changed. He realized from that point on when you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. He said, why persecute me? He was persecuting the church and believers, and Jesus himself said, you're persecuting me. So Paul realized that loving the church is loving Jesus, and being loyal to the church is loyal to Jesus, that Jesus and his people are connected as his body on this life. He realized that his life is different. He was converted. He was changed. 
went into Damascus, and there Ananias was appointed to come and witness to him. He said to Paul, Paul, get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Immediately Paul's eyes were opened, and Paul embraced Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, being baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. He said for me, to live is Christ. I had a life before that seemed successful. I had a life before that was wealthy and happy. I had a life before that by any measure was a, was a great life. But it was empty because it was futile because I didn't know Jesus and I didn't know God. I had religion, not God. My life is forever changed. For me to live is Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never really lived in this life. He's Paul said, at my conversion, it became true to me. To live is Christ. He was not, not only to live as Christ, what does it mean to, for me to live as Christ? He said, I, I was cleansed from all of my sin. I, I'm telling you, I, I was an evil person. I was a sinful person. But God made him who knew no sin to become sin on my part, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. He wasn't just changed by changing his mission of life and, and having a new understanding of who Jesus is. He said something deeper than that happened. I was born again. My life was changed. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. My life is radically different. And God washed, he cleansed me from all of my sins. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving full acknowledgement and acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm foremost, I'm chief. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul said, you know what? God reached down and he saved me and cleansed me so that I was a chief of sinners as a murderer and a persecutor of the church. But God saved me. I wasn't seeking him. He found me. He washed me clean. And he has made me an example. If God can save that guy, he can save anybody. And you know what? That's what God did in Paul's life. And he said, for me to live. Christ, because he converted me and he's cleansed me. Not only that, he's commissioned me. He's given me a, a, a commission in my life. He's, he's given me a purpose and he gave me marching orders. He saved me for a reason. And by the way, God saved you for a reason. God saved you for a purpose. And God has saved you for a mission. Paul, as he's Confronted by Christ, he says, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? He said, well, you go to Damascus and be told you what to do. Ananias, remember the story, when he, the Lord visits him and he says, I want you to go to 
uh, Simon's house on, and, uh, and there I want you to find Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus. And, I, and he said, I've heard about this guy. He's coming to do us harm. And he says, listen, I've got plans for him. He's my chosen instrument. And I'm going to use him to preach the gospel and uh, take it around the world and change the world. He's my chosen instrument, appointed to carry my name to Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. It was a vision and a commission to Paul himself that Paul was to go and preach the gospel. God called him. God laid his hand on him and said, you're going to be an apostle. You're going to be a, a, a missionary. And I'm going to use you to help change the world. And this is your mission, to preach Jesus and the gospel. It was his commission. When Paul stood before King Agrippa when, at Caesarea, and was investigated and uh, cross-examined -exam and cross-examined, he said to King Agrippa, he gave his testimony about how Christ changed his life. And then he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, God laid his hand on me. God saved me. God cleansed me. And God called me to a task. And I've carried it out. Amen. But not only that, he says, for me to live is Christ. Because my life, my, my, the heartbeat of my life, everything I do is to carry out what he called me to do. It's my mission in life. But not only that, it was his message. It's what he preached. And it was all about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. He says, I've been called to preach Jesus. I didn't come to you with lofty speech, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, or wisdom. But I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. My preaching and my teaching is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. It is about the love of God and the atoning death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in his name only. Paul said, listen, I didn't preach spurious things. I didn't preach empty things. I didn't preach the world's wisdom. I, I grieve at some of the loss of priority of the cross and the gospel and preaching. Preaching isn't about your best life now. Preaching isn't about 10 steps to financial success. And preaching is not about seven steps to a better marriage. The preaching of Paul was the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. 
Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Listen, it's all about the gospel of Jesus, him crucified. His message was about our sin, God's sovereignty, our sin, Christ's sacrifice for us, his saving, atoning work for us on the cross his victory and defeat of evil and sin. It was about Jesus' resurrection from the grave and the hope of eternal life in him. And it's about our response. Response to the love of God, which includes repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's true gospel preaching. And that, Paul said, for me to live, it's Christ. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not a philosopher. I don't have worldly wisdom. I'm not a financial guru. I'm just a preacher, and I preach about Jesus because he is the only hope for mankind. Amen. But he knew about Christ and suffering. He said, for me to live is Christ. Paul knew hardship. He knew suffering. The Lord told him, I'll teach him how much he will suffer for my name. Paul knew weakness and struggles and isolation and fear and hardship and beatings and persecution. He knew about suffering in his life. There was a time and a dark time in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, in verse 9, he said, I kept praying there was this messenger of, of Satan to buffet me. There was this thorn in my flesh. I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. I, I prayed again and again that God might remove it. But the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness so that the power of Christ might rest on me. Paul said, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then he is strong. He said, in the hardest time of my life, he stood beside me and said, my grace is sufficient. Many times that happened for Paul. Because he's the God of all comfort. Paul can say that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, in me there is the dying of Jesus and the living of Jesus. But Jesus is with me every step of the way. For me to live, Paul said, Christ. Paul said, for me to live is not wealth. For me to live is not fame. For me to live is not power. For me to live is not comfort. For me to live is not sports. For me to live is not popularity. For me to live is not success. For me to live is not a stable retirement. 
for me to live is Jesus. He said, without Jesus, I have no life. But if I have Jesus, I got life. Do you know Jesus? Have you trusted him? And then he says, to die is gain. Wow. He said, to die is even better. <laughs> Jesus is with me all the way. Jesus has saved me. Jesus give me hope. Jesus give me This is even to die. Die is not a bad thing. Die is the most glorious thing that could happen in my life. Because I'll be absent from the body. I'll be present with the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I know it's true. How is dying gain? When is dying gain? Why is dying gain? What do you think? Listen to what Paul says. He says, dying is gain because my citizenship is in heaven. Chapter 3, verse 27. Chapter 3, verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we will wait a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Wow. You see, our citizenship's not here on earth. It's not. It's, it's in heaven. You know, citizenship is, is where your home's at. It's a, it's a place of your birth. It's a place where you belong. It's a place where you have identity and security and of common values, often, common language, common culture. You have a citizenship. When I travel out of the country, I carry with me my passport. And when I open the passport, it says United States of America on my passport. And when I they open the passport, there is my passport number. There is my date of birth. There's information about me. There's scanning information about me. There's my picture right there. And then on the pages behind it are different places I've visited as a guest. But that's not where my citizenship is. My citizenship is in the United States of America. But my friend, my citizenship and yours is not in this country or in this world. My citizenship is in heaven. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I am a citizen by birth, a spiritual birth that God has done in my life. He's caused me to be born from above, born of his spirit, born again. To become a citizen of heaven. So when I die, I experience gain because I will be in heaven. Isn't that glorious? Wow. We have this great hope. We have this great hope. You know, when we live in this world, we always feel like we, a little bit, Sometimes a lot, like a fish out of water. We feel like we don't really belong here. That the world sees things differently than we do. The world values differently than we do. 
We see it in the culture where we live in. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Because this is not our home. But heaven is our home. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, to die is gain is not just when you have your citizen in heaven, citizenship in heaven, citizenship in heaven, but listen, it's when the Lord of heaven is your master. And when Jesus is the master of your life, you can't wait to spend time with him. Paul said, now we see through a glass dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Amen. John writes, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Now listen, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. He's coming for us. And we'll spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. Some of us lost loved ones, friends and family members, those we love. Maybe you've lost a son. Maybe you lost a daughter, granddaughter. Lost a mom or a dad, a grandmother or a grandfather, a close friend. But I'm telling you, there'll be a great reunion someday. And I'm telling you, listen, when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one who's walked with me, the one who saved me, the one who cleansed me, the one who's been with me, the one that's comforted me. He is my all in all. And I can't imagine seeing Jesus and worshiping face to face and experience transformation that's beyond explanation in my life. It will be glorious. Dying is gain when our investments are in heaven. Are you investing in heaven? I'll tell you what. Paul said, I look forward to heaven because that's where my investments are at. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves can break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves. Paul said, there's no other foundation that's been laid than Christ Jesus. But build on that foundation. But don't build with things that will be burned up when it's tried, like wood and hay and stubble. But instead, be build with precious metals and precious jewels and, and build with things that last. What are you investing in in your life? Are you investing in eternity? Listen, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you put your treasure in the Lord. Paul had spent his life. He knew that his time of departure was at hand. 
This is what Paul says. I've run the good race. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. But there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that will be awarded to me in that day, and not only to me, but all of those who loved his appearing. Amen. He says, you know what? There's a crown of righteousness awaiting me. It's not just for me. It's for all who love his appearing. Listen, your treasure is not here. Some of you all wound up because the stock market went down. Some of you all wound up because of the corona and all this stuff. Can I listen to me? Your treasure is not here. Your treasure's not here. It's there. Paul died like a pauper. Paul died as a martyr. Paul is rich. This world doesn't hold your treasure. It's with the Lord. To die is gain when the glories of heaven are realized in your life. All the promises of heaven come true. That's, that is when, that is when heaven is gained. You say, Brother Tim, what are some of those? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that heaven's a place where there'll be no more sin. Isn't that good news? No more sin. Sin will not be in heaven anymore. No rebellion against God in heaven, no sin in heaven. There won't be sin in me. There won't be that struggle with sin in me, I'll be fully sanctified. I'll, I'll, I'll be changed in like Christ and, and my, the perfections that he brings in my life will be glorious, wonderful. But there will be no sin in you, no sin in others. Won't that be great? No sin in your kids, no sin in your grandkids, <laughs> no sin in your husband, no sin in us. Wow. No sin in the culture. The culture of heaven has no sin. There'll be no regrets in heaven. Won't that be glorious? There'll be no miscommunication in heaven. Man, praise God. There'll be no politics in heaven. Can somebody say praise Jesus? No politics in heaven. No racism in heaven. No divorce in heaven. No lawsuits in heaven. No lies in heaven. Wow. No sickness in heaven. Not only, not only there won't be any sin, but there's no sickness there. No COVID-19 in heaven, praise Jesus. No asthma in heaven, no cancer in heaven, no aging in heaven, no glasses, hallelujah in heaven, no wheelchairs in heaven, no diabetes in heaven, no arthritis in heaven, no hospitals in heaven, no pharmacies in heaven, because we will be healed. We'll live in a land with no sin and no sickness and no disease. And he wipes every tear from our eyes because there'll be no sorrow in heaven. No death in heaven. It's the end of death. Life everlasting. Life evermore. There'll never be a funeral in heaven. Ever. There's no cemeteries in heaven. No embalming fluid needed in heaven. No undertakers needed to do undertaking in heaven. No need for doctors to do doctoring in heaven. Because heaven 
will have no death, no sickness, no sorrow, and no grief. Death is gone. Life reigns and love in heaven. No separation in heaven. Our loved ones never die there. We are together. We're not lonely and isolated and separated in heaven. Some of us are going through it now. I feel so sorry for some of our folks, some of our most aged members of our church, separated in the assisted living homes and memory care homes and, and nursing homes, separated from everyone they love. And those are in the hospital all alone. Thank God for the first responders and doctors and nurses and technicians. that, And they're trying to care and love, but it's not the same as having family there. But let me tell you about heaven. You'll never be separated. You'll never be lonely. You'll never be by yourself because you're in a glorious place called heaven. It'll be life and joy. And there'll be work to do in heaven. Listen, some of us think, I don't know about heaven. I, don't, I mean, we're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp and sing in a choir. No. That's a false idea about heaven. Heaven will be much like this world, except no sin. No sorrow will be working, but it won't be futile work or empty work. It will all be to the glory of God, and it will be glorious. And worship will be like nothing you've ever experienced in your life. And we won't have church conflicts and church competition and church fights. We'll be with the Lamb Himself, the Lord Jesus, and worship Him purely and beautifully. Oh, it's going to be glorious. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. It has meaning and purpose. Without Christ, no life. But to die is glorious and is much better and is gain. And I long for it. Amen. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? If not today, put your faith and trust in Him. Turn from your sin and trust Him as the Lord and Master of your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would turn to Him today. And pray a prayer like this, Dear God, I know that I have sinned. I believe that you made me. I know that I've made a mess of my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died and rose again. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my life. And I commit my life to be the Lord and Master. That you would be my Lord and Master. And I'll follow you. And I want to obey you. And ask you to heal me and save me. And I ask you to help me to find real life. Thank you, Father, for loving me. I yield my life to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Today, may you know Jesus. Because he's life.